Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Welcome to Into the Breach. Uh, this is your host, Brian O'Keefe, and joined by my co-host here, Jenna Usenheimer. How are you doing, Jenna? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Good. Happy New Year, our first episode of 2021. Year. How about that? I know. It's exciting to say goodbye to 2020, to welcome in a new year. I know. We didn't get canceled. <laughs> Thank goodness. I know. I know. So what was your what was your favorite holiday gift? That's going to be our opening our opening banter here for 2021. So my mother for Hanukkah sent me a box and in the box were Hanukkah candles, which is obviously a very helpful gift. Uh, old socks with the Friends logo, which I think she must have worn for like 10 years and then sent me for Hanukkah and face masks. So it was like a very appropriate 2020 holiday season gift. Wow. And what about you? You got a very special after Christmas present, didn't I you? Did. Well, well, as uh, as Jenna knows, my wife and I actually had a had a COVID scare around Christmas, so we almost had Chris, we almost had COVID for Christmas. But thank God that actually did not. Thank happen. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we got a new dog, uh, so we have a very cute, adorable little pug uh, sitting upstairs at my house right now, a five-year-old rescue pug named Joy that we got. So she is a welcome member, our third dog now. So um, the family expanded over the holidays and Aww. we're happy to have Joy in our life now. So. And was her name Joy or did you Her name was Joy and we kept <laughs> That's that. That's so perfect. I know, she. It's, it seemed to be very fitting. So. Um, wow, welcome Joy. I know. Well, the, we're going to have some guests in to bring us some joy today. And <laughs> those guests, uh, we're very happy to have them with us. Our first guest of 2021 on the podcast here. Um, and that is uh, David Haig from uh, Managing Director at Atlanta Global Risk and Sarah Cannon, a Senior Vice President at Atlanta Global Risk. And welcome to the show. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you both. Very excited to speak with you. Can't say we'll be bringing joy, but we'll we'll do our best. <laughs> you already have brought us joy, so. Well, you can bring me a pug instead, I guess. Then. So. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna be speaking with uh, both David and Sarah today uh, a bit about uh, contingent risk liability uh, products. Um, they're really becoming a a hot thing on the market and something that we've worked on with Atlantic and the Atlantic team and, and wanted to, to talk about that with them in the new year here. But uh, before we get to that, perhaps we can uh, just have our guests talk a little, a little bit about themselves and their in their background. Um, we'll start with Sarah here and uh, just talking about your, your background, both at Atlantic and before you came here. Sure. So hi, Brian and Jenna. Thanks for having us on the show. It's really great to be here, even if it's virtual. <laughs> So I joined Atlantic from Kirkland and Ellis, where I was a litigator. So I come from a pretty broad-based litigation background. I've done a lot of commercial work, done some class action defense work, a lot of things related to M&A. And so now I have left big law, and I am now a full-time contingent risk insurance broker. 
So my technical role is senior vice president, but I am our main broker who is doing contingent risks. And what contingent risks are, just as a bit of a preview, I'm sure we're going to get all into that later as the podcast continues, but those are policies that cover known and identified risks. So somewhat of the inverse of reps and warranties. Um, prior to being at Kirkland, I was at Cleary Gottlieb, where I also did um, general broad-based litigation and whole professional life has been here in New York. Great. Well, thank you very much for that, Sarah. And uh, I had in my notes, how many Kirkland and Ellis alumni, Jenner, are we going to have on the show now? I think this is the fourth or fifth, if I include myself too. So we're happy just to have say. another Kirkland person on, Sarah, and we're more uh, just taking the more, over the podcast. The more Kirkland, the better. What, what can I say? I come from a litigation background. So it's a little unusual in the transaction liability section that I'm not you know, a corporate lawyer by training. But one of the things that really got me interested in this world and really introduced me to RWI is that I worked on the Novalex versus Illinois Union case. We were defending a, or sorry, not, we were bringing a claim for breach of a representation and warranties policy of representing a claimant under a reps and warranties policy. That really opened my eyes to this whole world of transaction liability insurance that I didn't even know existed and really is a big part of what led me here today to be broking up liability insurance products. Great. Well, uh, all of us usually end up in this world in strange and unusual ways and, um, you know, glad to have you aboard. And David, um, you know, perhaps you want to talk a little bit about your background and then we know that you were the uh, founding uh, genius here behind Atlantic. So uh, maybe explain a little bit about uh, about Atlantic and what you, what they do as well. Uh, founding genius, I think might be a bit of a, a stretch, but I'll take co-founder. It's, uh, it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch. He's co-founding genius. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thanks. Obviously, before we kick off, thanks for having me on the show. Excited to talk to you both today. Um, so yeah, as you heard, I'm David Haig and Managing Director and Co-Founder of Atlantic Global Risk. Um, so who is Atlantic? For those of you that don't know Atlantic, um, Atlantic is a specialist insurance broker that Richard and I um, set up four years ago um, after moving across from an insurance broker based in Howden, in London called Howden, Howden Insurance Brokers. Um, so we used to be part of the M&A team over there and uh, launched Atlantic. So. We started off life as a, a transactional risk insurance broker, um, focusing primarily on rep and warranty. And uh, today we've evolved a bit and we've got a few more different divisions, which is, is really exciting. Um, so rep and warranty or m and are kind of main and most mature division. And then we've got a tax group, um, which is very exciting, led by Mike Gaffney and Jenny Wong. Um, we've got a structured credit practice, which is a kind of world that we don't really see on the M&A side. We're obviously primarily dealing with the, the equity side of the house, but we um, we have a structured credit practice that deals in non-payment insurance. Um, and then finally, but, you know, last but not least, um, our structured solutions group run by Sarah, which deals with known but uncertain issues that we're going to be talking about today. So that's a kind of, in a nutshell, who I am, what Atlantic does, um, the group's now up to 30. Um, so we're kind of, what I say, maybe coming up on four years in where we've got a team of 30 people split across New York, Jersey City, Boston and Toronto. And, you know, great group of people. Um, fantastic bunch of M&A attorneys, litigators, investment bankers, 
tax attorneys and now bankers on the on the credit side. So um, the idea has been that we bring great pretty great people from you know outside insurance and, and bring them inside. Well, that's great. great. Well, I, I think uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I think, it, you know, those of us in this world, Atlantic's reputation always speaks for itself. And you're really uh, very well known as having a, a really top flight team and, and also being very uh, creative and innovative in the way that you're thinking about these risks. And we've worked on deals with you and, uh, you know, certainly appreciate that. So, um, but maybe hopping into today's uh, topic a bit about uh, the contingent risk uh, liability uh, insurance product. And maybe David, um, you know, if maybe you just want to explain a little bit of, about what the concept is for those of our listeners who are uh, perhaps unfamiliar with it. And then, um, you know, about Atlantic specific practice around this with structured solutions that, uh, that, that Sarah's heading up here. Yeah, perfect. So I think w- what is contingent risk insurance or, you know, we call our team structured solutions, but, but what do we do? I think kind of touched on it earlier, we're looking for known but uncertain um, issues or risks that may crop up in the context of a deal, may not crop up in the context of a deal. And the way that we like to think about the opportunities here is we're really looking for situations where our clients are prevented from doing something that they otherwise would like to do. Something's getting in the way and insurance can create more value than just the risk transfer itself that's really what we're looking for so um you know it could be um litigation it could be stopping you from doing an MA deal litigation stopping you from doing an MA deal it could be a refinancing it could be you know the distribution of monies either to creditors or lps or some form of you know trapped cash that um needs to be released and without a, an alternative guarantee um, you know, the, the parties aren't going to be able to do whatever it is that they desire to do. And contingent risk insurance is about designing solutions to those problems and to give unfunded creditworthiness to a situation that needs it. Um, and our job is to find it and, you know, help structure. And, and the reason we keep referring to the word structure is they're not always straightforward. Um, and, and they take a lot of thought and it's, collaborative with the insurance markets it's about using our kind of collective expertise to to really think about the right solution for the problem um and and getting our heads around the table and thinking about how to actually solve the problem because it's by their very nature these products aren't off the shelf they're they're designed and, and structured and tailored to to a given problem so in a nutshell that is um you know what the concept of Atlantics, well, not Atlantics, that's the concept of contingent risk insurance. Um, and, you know, our practice is absolutely built around that, supporting MA transactions, supporting non MA transactions, plugging holes for exclusions, replacing the need for, you know, specific indemnities. And so alleviating that kind of negotiating burden that we all see where people are fighting over the allocation of, of, of risk. And you know, I think it's also about connecting people and connecting the dots. You know, there's often times that risks are not just as straightforward as, you know, the tax man knocking on the door or a third party bringing a claim or a class action lawsuit. You know, there's there's multi facets to a lot of the risks that we deal with. Um, and that can often take a lot of time to piece together the puzzle 
um, not only on the broking side, but also on the insurance side. You know, the insurance industry's got a a wonderful, wonderful kind of, you know, spread and diversity of expertise that is great at assessing and understanding risk, um, but it's sometimes siloed. Um, and I think, you know, we see our job as pulling together those silos and getting people to speak to each other to, 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 to put a really nice solution together. I was actually going to ask you how it is that you are able to find these people who need you. And since it's your your structured solutions aren't limited just to MA deals or the rep and warranty contacts, right? They're a little bit broader. So how, you know, how are you, you doing finding those people, tracking them down? Are you relying on your attorney partners or broker partners? Like where yeah, I mean it, yeah, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of networking and a lot of talking to people and and, and telling stories and list, importantly listening to stories and seeing actually, hey, you did that to this situation. Can we apply it to a different situation where the structure fits, but maybe the risks are different. And so it's just, for me, it's all about thinking about ways of applying what already exists in a new way that people haven't necessarily thought about it. And yeah, yeah it takes time. Sarah and I talked to a, a brand new market today that we've yeah. never talked to before. And lo and behold, they've got solutions for our clients' problems. So I think, you know, as any good broker, it's just about knowing your market very well. And that takes a lot of time and effort. They, they told us say, they knew you were going to be on the podcast. That's why it worked so well, right? Yeah, exactly. There you go. They want the plug. I would say a very important part of my job as a broker is educating people about what contingent risks are and what they can do. And we often like to use the phrase, you know, what's the art of the possible here with a structured solution? Because this product has existed for a while, but a lot of people don't know how they can apply it to the specific situation that they face. So we do a lot of time speaking with our clients from the representation of warranty insurance, speaking to our attorney networks, speaking to people that we know in various businesses, because contingent risk really does have such a broad application. It's not solely to fill a gap in an M&A transaction but obviously it can, and that's a really great use for it, but it's not the only case. So talking, listening, educating, I think are really the ways that we're trying to get the word out. Listening to clients and the problems that they've faced in the past, what has scuttled, what kind of contingent risks have scuttled a deal? What kind of contingent risks have resulted in a purchase price that they didn't want to pay or an indemnity that they don't want to be holding on to? And trying to understand how you can help how you could have helped that problem in the past. So either maybe you could fix it now, because remember sometimes contingent risk insurance policies are incepted at, you know, after a deal. But then, so now they know, okay, if I come across the situation in the future, contingent risk should be an option that pops into my mind. Because right now, a lot of people don't even know that it's something they should be asking themselves. Could insurance solve this? Because right now, what a lot of people use is very traditional risk, you know, risk management allocation and risk allocation methods, things like indemnities and escrows and guarantees. And those certainly do have a place. But when you can instead replace an indemnity or an escrow with an insurance policy to allow seller to walk away from a deal or to allow buyer to have the comfort that they need for a, for a risk, that can offer you a better and cheaper solution than what you had been doing before if you you know, work with people like us to really take the time to understand the risk, go to the markets and see what you can do. And so in light of the fact that you're looking to underwrite known risks, right? Like you said, is the inverse of rep and warranty insurance. Mm -hmm. How do you go about pricing a policy like this? 
That's a, that's a really great question. And I think something to keep in mind is that every one of these policies is unique, tailored, if you want to use a Britishism, bespoke. As you can tell from my accent, I'm American and David is British. So we sometimes use slightly different language. But every single one of these risks is going to be unique. And so the way that you're going to be pricing these is by providing as much underwriting analysis as you can about the risk to try to understand the maximum damages that you'd be, or you know, the maximum amount of, of liability that you would be facing, trying to understand legal defenses, you know, the likelihood of success on various claims and portions of the claim. And then once you're able to put together that holistic full view of the case, underwriters are able to provide then, you know, the pricing based on, you know, as you say, they're underwriting their best their best view of it. And I realize that is a very broad answer to a to this question, but just sort of help you, you know, pin down a little bit just to give a flavor of sort of what we've seen for very remote risks where someone needed, you know, sort of sleep tight assurance. You know, we've seen, you know, between one and two percent rate online when the risk is what people are using it for is they want coverage about that contingency. They're not afraid of the risk itself, but that tail risk was something that was holding up a dealer, making it more expensive. You can get really great rates. I mean, I think a good example there of a very low rate they've seen is the risk of um, a carbon credit being invalidated. You know, how companies in the using the renewable energy space might purchase carbon credits. In, in California, there's a risk that those could be invalidated. That's a very low risk that has a very low rate online. Another example that we worked on is when we've had a situation dealing with the risk of unclaimed property and whether or not states would say that uh, a company needed to cheat certain types of unclaimed property to the state. You know, we've seen a rate online between four and 6%, depending on the size of the policy in the specific states that, you know, because some states have states of different laws and, you know, Companies can also, you know, have different laws applicable to them in the achievement world. But so that's sort of just giving you a flavor of how, depending on the type of risk and the laws or case law that you're looking at, really can factor in. And then obviously, of course, this is a, a fluid market. So some risks are going to be a bit higher if, you know, people get a little, if, if insurer isn't able to get as comfortable about it. But pricing Fear of pricing should not in any way stop from someone from trying to seek contingent risk insurance. Um, you know, there might be this perception that it's always prohibitively expensive, and that is just not the case. Because something to really keep in mind is that where contingent risk insurance really works the best is when it is facilitating a transaction, facilitating something that somebody wants to do, but the risk is holding them up. And in that situation, whatever amount you might pay as part of your rate online really can be counterbalanced by the fact that you're actually doing this deal. That's that's very helpful on the pricing. And I think there there is sometimes a misconception that this is uh, prohibitively expensive. And so I think it's it's good for our listeners to be aware that that's, that's not always the case. And um, perhaps as well, some of the other uh, elements of a policy of a sort of a typical reps policy, yeah. do, do these uh, do the contingent policies usually have uh, retentions or deductibles and underwriting mm -hmm. fees associated with them? And maybe just give our listeners an idea about, about where those uh, where those usually stand. Sure. So a lot of pricing terms, you know, it's it's insurance. So there's a lot of things that are going to be, you know, parts of a policy that are going to be, you know, the same for rep and warranty and for contingent. So deductibles slash retentions do exist. 
but it really, really varies based on the nature of the risk that's being insured. Sometimes you'll cover from dollar one and sometimes you'll have, you know, a, a retention based on that risk. So I would say the amount of retention include the likelihood of de minimis claims occurring. If you have something that tends to be sort of an all or nothing outcome, it may not make sense to have a retention because part of what a deduction or a deductible retention is trying to do is you know, avoid de minimis is avoid de minimis claims and also have you know some of that coinsurance as well. So we have an all or nothing case, less likely to have a retention or have a lower or to have a different study of retention. Whether or not defense costs are covered can also matter because again, when you're covering defense costs, you know, you want to make sure that you're avoiding de minimis charges. You know, no one wants to file a claim for a hundred dollars on you know a multi-million dollar uh, a multi-million dollar policy that's just not really administratively feasible for either side. So I would say in terms of retention, it is definitely a point of negotiation uh, for every policy and really will vary based on the risk itself and what exactly you're covering. Sometimes also policies are set as stop losses. So if you have a risk that has you know, a likely, a likely outcome, but a really big tail risk of what could possibly go wrong in the worst possible situation, you might have a situation where that policy sits as a stop loss on top of likely outcomes. And so in that case, I mean, it somewhat has a large retention or reduction just because of the nature of where that policy is sitting. And speaking of claims, if what, what has the claims experience been so far with these products? Do you have any insight into that, either of you? So, so claims is a funny kind of word in this market because, you know, in terms of assessing performance or looking at the products, the, the claims history is interesting because you can almost, I mean, we just underwrote a policy together recently, right? And I'm pretty sure there is a claim on it already. And so there's a lot of times where the, the given the nature of the risks that we're underwriting, there are almost claims immediately um, because we're talking about known issues and particularly we're aware of things that could reasonably be expected to give rise to a loss or we might be you know ensuring live litigation so oftentimes claims can happen very very quickly i think the question then is do they pay out and how much do they pay out and um you know i think one of the the, the first um policies that our team wrote back in europe had a very big claim in it straight away um so I think there's a lot of education. Um, the claims have been paid. Um, claims are more frequently made given nature of the product relative to say rep and warranty insurance, right. where there are you know, fewer breaches, but when they happen, they're, they're big numbers and there's almost always some form of liability associated with the breach here. It's, there's probably more frequently claims. The question is, did, does the client end up suffering damages? And if they do, do the policies respond? And today, our experience has been great. That's good. So everyone's satisfied on all sides then, the client Absolutely. and the underwriter. Good to know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Something else just to throw in there is, you know, sort of food for thought is that sometimes it, with contingent risk, it can be very difficult to figure out how you're going to prove losses. And you would know that going, you know, going off the bat, especially if you think about a risk where you know, it's not necessarily direct damages that you would really have, but let's say for thinking about something that would have like injunctive relief. There are contingent risk policies that will cover things that don't have direct damages associate them. So for example, litigation that might have an injunctive relief 
could still get a contingent risk insurance policy for it if you're able to prove and get the insurers comfortable that they can understand what the actual damages are likely to be, be able to underwrite that risk. Great. Well, I, you know, I, I, I've really appreciated your discussion of this and explanation about it. And I think it uh, certainly clears up some misconceptions in the market and uh, very helpful to, uh, to our listeners out there. So um, I think we're going to move on now to uh, our last portion of the show. We kept this for season two, uh, our little Shakespearean uh, twist on the show, which we call Once More Unto the Breach, um, some quick hit questions for our guests. Uh, uh, we understand you did not collaborate on these together, so we will uh, give each of you an opportunity to answer these separately. Um, but our first question, um, uh, and we'll uh, either David or Sarah just hop right in, is uh, what you think will be the biggest change you expect to see in uh, reps and warranty insurance or transactional risk insurance in general in the next 12 months? I think that the biggest change I think we'll see in the next 12 months for contingent risk is I think we're going to see wider adoption and broader market understanding and, and market knowledge of contingent risk. Because as I said before, it's has so many opportunities and can really do so many different things, but a lot of people just don't know about it. But I think, you know, with brokers such as myself and David really making a big push to let people know, get the word out. I think that we really are going to see more adoption over the course of the next year. Well, your, your phone will be ringing off the hook after the podcast is released here. So, you know, we, I, I oh, agree definitely that that right. definitely happen. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, David? Well, I hope that's right, Brian. Um, I think, I think more entrance on the insurer side. I think a lot of people are are pretty interested in how they can diversify their books and, and and look to, you know, get more premium through the door. And, and, you know, there are bigger rates to be had for some of these quirky and known issues. And um, I think they, they lend themselves to, to balance in a carrier's book quite well. So I think more carriers um, will hopefully follow um, Sarah's change with, um, you know, more people knowing about the products and hopefully seeking this type of insurance to solve to solve problems. Well, to, to make the full circle of life here, we're all in favor of that because if there's more carriers and more need for underwriting <laughs> counsel, so that's always a good thing. So yeah, we're very right. biased on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think the second question uh, we had, we asked our guests, um, and I think it's actually really interesting. Uh, with both of you, because you uh, come at this from very different angles, but you know, perhaps a, p a piece of career advice for somebody who uh, who might be interested in working uh, in transactional risk insurance. I would say that my biggest career advice for this is that you don't need to be a transactional attorney to work in transactional risk insurance. Having a broad range and broad of broad, you know, range of attorneys and broad-based legal knowledge is really helpful. You know, as I, I'm a litigator by training, I have colleagues who are tax attorneys by training and investment bankers by training, consultants, and every single one of those professions and legal specialties really brings something to the transactional risk market. So it's really, if people are interested in it, they should, you know, they should take a look. Don't feel like you have to have been an M&A lawyer to do this. And I'd say don't think about insurance as a, as a boring industry, I think. <laughs> Once you've got a, a a good idea of or a good skill set from from life, whatever that might be, um, and once you take the time to understand and navigate the insurance world, it's a 
it's a brilliant place to be very exciting particularly being a broker you know being between between a client and the insurers and looking out for your clients and having the insurers look out for you it's a it's a great great lifestyle so yeah don't ever turn your nose up at what you might consider to be boring insurance there's a whole world of opportunity to be had out there and uh give it a go that would be my advice all right and then our third and last arguably the most important question on the entire podcast today is david and sarah what and brian what were your new year's resolutions so who's to start Sarah. I can I can start and my new year's resolution has been to get more sunlight which <laughs> that's a good resolution in a, a non covid year I don't think would have really been a a resolution I would have considered but now that I'm working from home and I'm inside all day uh, I, I need to get more sunlight and go outside more it is a good resolution especially cuz it's so cold these days you really have to force yourself outside mhm yeah exactly all right david are you also going to get more sun in 2021 Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I mean last year is not well hopefully not what years that to go by. So I've got to kind of think of something to better last year. I'd probably be very generic and say, you know, exercise more, but then I'd be on the bandwagon as well. I'd actually like to read more. You know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to read more books in 2021 than I did in 2020. I don't mean purchase agreements, I don't mean diligence reports. Yeah, like right. Actual books that somebody else wrote, not client. <laughs> Oh my god, you good. stole you stole mine. That's what I was I I had said <laughs> at the beginning of the year. I wanted to try to like I used to like to read a lot and I've not I don't read very much now. Because <laughs> um, I read all day. Fiction, non-fiction. Oh, non-fiction is the only thing I read actually. Yeah. Uh, I only I pretty much exclusively read non-fiction, which is uh my wife and I could not be more different in this. She only reads fiction and so we're always we don't have any similarities in this but i've wanted to do more of it so that was actually one thing that was on my on my big list and jenna you said you didn't have any year's resolutions that's right i don't have any cuz every year um i already shared with our podcast guests here today every year my resolution is to like have more fun do more things say yes to invitations to places i wouldn't normally go and those are not opportunities that are available to me this year in covid times no that's not true it's like it's have more fun in the situation available to you is maybe the way to think about it That is a good way to to reposition it. Yeah. Well, I am going to Florida on Wednesday to visit my parents. So wearing my Hanukkah uh face shield. So that might be more is, fun. We will see. Is it a Hanukkah themed face shield? <laughs> Sadly, it is not. No. Oh, that would have been really cool. That would have been awesome. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's and don't Christmas forget present. to wear your uh, your friend's socks. You've got to make sure you've got your friend's socks. <laughs> I'm going to be fully decked out. That's right. You know, my, to toe. my mother gave me socks for Christmas. She does every year. I mean, they probably were not old ones though, from the '90s. No, no, I'm I'm pretty sure they were mailed directly from Macy's to me. See, see, so. Well, uh, the theme of 2021 and into the breach is old socks. So. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much to our guests for joining us David Sarah it's really been a pleasure uh to have you uh on board today and maybe um before you go if you wanted to uh, give listeners your contact information if they uh, wanted to reach either of you uh about about these products or get in touch with you uh that that'd be great Yeah sure so um happy to redirect you to our website which is atlanticgrp.com Uh, where you can find our contact details, or alternatively, 
uh, reach out to us via LinkedIn um, or to Brian, maybe through Brian, and we can come at you from two different angles. We can represent you on the legal side and from an insurance broken side. I like and it. I like that it. sounds great to us. Yeah. That sounds great to us. So, well, well, thank you very much for being on. We really appreciated it. Uh, great to have you as our first guest of 2020. And uh, this has been another episode of Into the Breach. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And until next time. Thank you both. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.